Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary Jerome McGowan, and my co-host, Patrick Sean Barrow. Together, we are Triage Method. (laughs) You're actually a loser. Anyway, so in today's episode, we are going to discuss, this effectively is going to be somewhat of a continuation on from the last episode we did on RPE reps in reserve and training to failure because there is still more to discuss on that. Like obviously again, like you're not getting the full discussion in whatever an hour, an hour and a half podcast, like, but like this stuff is better formulated in article format, but also that's a little bit of a harder method to digest because you have to sit there and read the article, blah, 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 do all that stuff that goes along with reading, reading even and thinking. And so this is obviously just, you know, background noise, really easy to be like, oh yeah, understand that. But there is more to the the conversation. Right. So what we're effectively going to discuss today is failure, what that actually means, what that actually looks like. And when you understand that, or why, when you understand that, you actually realize that most people have no fucking clue uh, when they're discussing failure. Right. Um, And obviously this this then informs your training approach, which we've discussed in the last podcast, right? Well, not the last one, but the podcast on RPE, uh, reps and reserve and, you know, training to failure, that kind of thing. Um, so first of all, Gary, if I asked you to train to failure, what does that actually mean on a mechanistic level? Like what's happening to stop us from performing another rep because obviously there's a lot going into this and again you'll see this even when people do it in the gym there's a the psychological aspect there's the you know we'll call it the nervous system aspect the neurological aspect if you will and then there's obviously the the muscular aspect so there there, is, there are a few variables intertwining into this into what failure actually is but do you have a physiological definition of failure? You know, effectively it's intertwined with fatigue as well. But what are your thoughts? Like if I said, how do you know if someone has reached failure on a physiological level? Is there something we can measure? Is there processes that go on? What's the crack? Yeah, for me, for me, it, it's, it's sort of a, an operating definition of when someone can no longer produce the force that is required for them to meet the, specific constraints to the exercise and that's really important because you can always do more work as in like it's not like your mitochondria are no longer able to produce atp and everything's broken absolutely not like that's not the case it's that you're no longer able to produce the force that is required for you to move against resistance in the constraints of the exercise so for example you've got point a and you've got point b and the successful completion of a rep is defined when you move from point A to point B and you fail when you can no longer complete that arbitrary range of motion. So it is, it is a failure to produce sufficient force within the constraints of the exercise. So while we've got our point A and we've got our point B, we've also got basically other factors that are acting there, such as um, if, you're, if you're doing a, a, a squat, then... I would I, a better a better example would be something like a bicep curl, right? Because <clears throat> if you're doing a bicep curl and you've standardized your first ten reps to keep your arms down by your side, 
and you 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 get another rep but you only get it by swinging back jumping up onto your toes and throwing the weight up then you have not met the criteria that i described of point a to point b within the constraints of the exercise because the constraints of the exercise were the strict technique so if you have to totally change your technique to move the weight from a to b you've changed the constraints of the exercise and hence like we're not not no longer talking about the same thing so we we're talking about point a point b within specific technical constraints of the exercise for me yeah, that's the best way to think about it yeah it's the best conceptual way to think about it you know yeah. especially considering that like you're never truly taxing like fully taxing like reaching failure with your nervous system like no. that doesn't happen right and that's why i wanted to mention those things coming into this discussion because people think there is some sort of magical like measurable thing that'd be like oh that's that's failure right um when realistically it's there there is no clear de definition unless you actually talk about the actual outcome right and that is the like movement itself that you're performing you know because your nervous system isn't reaching failure you know like, that would actually be catastrophic for you as an organism right your muscles like they're not they're not really reaching failure right they are momentarily reaching failure right but even then it's like no there's still more work that they could like even not not involuntarily voluntarily do like for example i always use because it's very easy to conceptualize like if you had what are those uh oh those flywheel uh machines yeah. you know like you could you get you effectively with those you get as much as you give right and um, so if you were doing something like that you could effectively keep going until pretty close to true whatever uh muscular failure right because you can keep going until you can't give any more and it's only going to give as much as you give you know and uh, the closest you could come to something like that in the gym is probably something like the the airdyne maybe um mm. like a, a fan belt bike especially if you use something like the rogue bike which is atrocious um but it, probably closer in terms of a uh, resistance training setting probably the closest you can come to that is doing drop sets uh on a piece of kit that actually fits your muscles ability to produce force throughout the entire contractile range right that's probably the closest you can come to actually getting to muscular failure and again you, you would see this because again say again you have a perfectly designed hack squat it fits their, your quads ability to produce force throughout the entire contractile range it's, it's the most perfectly designed piece of equipment ever you know the it's, it's beautiful right say you do five plates per side on that and you reach failure failure at eight reps say right you could your muscles still have the ability to produce force you know they may not may not have the ability to produce force through that entire range with five plates aside but they could do it with you know four plates on one side five plates on the other right and you could keep doing that just pulling off a plate and keep reaching failure points until yeah. you're at zero plates per side you know and then you could keep going step off that hack squat machine and do something like body weight squats perhaps you know you might still have the ability to produce force like that you also may still have the ability to produce force and say bodyweight squat I, actually if we didn't have a perfectly designed resistance profile you might as we said in the last episode be able to do like partial reps in that range of motion you know so you might do a drop set 
on say squats, which I probably wouldn't recommend, but say you did, like you could say you do hundred kilos. No, it's actually easier if you do 140 kilos, you do eight reps of your high bar, full depth, perfect, whatever squat, and you reach failure at that point. You could effectively keep cutting the depth until you're basically just doing a little knee bend, right? And then you could pull off a plate per side, right? And then keep going. You've effectively just done a drop set and keep going, start again, you're doing perfect full reps. And then again, you keep going until you're only doing this little knee bend. Then you pull off the plates per side, keep going until again, you're just doing this little knee bend. You just keep reducing your impartial range of motion. And then you pull off the final plate and you're left with just the bar. Keep going. Same thing again, partial range of motion. And then again, you get rid of the bar and it's just your body weight and you keep going until you reach. You can't reduce your body weight anymore. Maybe you can. Maybe you fucking put a resistance band around yourself and off a fucking rack or something and you take some of the load off your weight and you can keep going, right? So no one trains like that. Literally no one trains to absolute muscular failure. You know, like again, as I said, the closest you can come to it is perfectly designed machine for your ability to produce force throughout that range. And if you combine that with a drop set, you know, that's probably the closest you can come to fully reaching muscular failure. Right. Would you agree with that, Gary? Yeah. Like, especially on your own, like there are, are, if you're a personal trainer, like you can help your clients by doing very specific I was going to get to, I was going to get to the spotting and uh, also the psychological stuff as well yeah. in a second. But for now, you agree that yes, that's sir. probably the closest you can come to reaching failure. Yeah. Yes, sir. So we're we're already starting to realize that even though people talk about failure or reaching failure in the gym, it's an arbitrary failure. They've preemptively defined the range that they want to complete, and then they're only stopping or so they say they're only stopping when they can't perform another rep right in that arbitrarily defined range right and again like it's not i say arbitrarily but obviously the exercise that you're doing dictates the range that is available and obviously combined with your body etc right so it is arbitrary to some extent because again you could start doing partial reps and get more reps you know but anyway uh the next thing that we put onto that is the psychological and this book goes into the environment or the environment that you're in um, and obviously the way you approach training because like the vast majority and i would say 99.9 percent of people training are limited by their psychology not their physiology right like their body has far more to give and it's their mind that stops them before their their body stops them right? And you can even see this in people who discuss training to failure, right? You can, you can, the, the, the clearest example of someone who doesn't train to failure is someone who thinks only the last rep matters, or rather only the last rep is hard, right? Because if you truly believe only the last rep is hard, I would probably put that at a five reps in reserve, right? Because if you're not finding the last five reps or so hard obviously progressively harder as you get closer to less reps in reserve then you're probably quite a bit away from failure right and and this again informs the discussion around uh when people discuss reps in reserve or pe and failure because you'll see people saying like oh 
RPE is stupid or reps and reserve is stupid because, you know, it's, you're, you're not getting to that failure point. Right. But, uh, or they say it, it's easy training. Like it's just too easy. Yeah, like if you do like an RPE eight or a rep or, or IR like reps and reserve two, it's like all those sets must be easy. You know, that, that thought process clearly shows that that person has never reached failure. Right. Because if you think that two reps in reserve is easy work, that means that you probably aren't trained to failure when you think you're training to failure. Because those eight reps, like when you get to that eight rep, that means you've only two reps left in the tank, right? That means that those two, that, that eight rep is going to be hard, right? So if you think that, oh, I trained to failure and, you know, I got to my eight reps, so you do train to failure at eight reps and you're like, oh, that eight rep, was really hard. I would argue you probably have more reps in the tank, unless you also thought that rep seven was hard, rep six was hard, and rep five was hard. You know, because um, if you didn't think that, I'm sorry, but you probably have more reps left in the tank, right? And you're only stopping because it started to get a little bit too uncomfortable for you, right? So that when you say that to people, it kind of upsets. A lot of people, when you question how hard they are training, because they're like, it's my badge of honor, I, I train to failure. But again, most people aren't, right? However, the converse of this is most people that use RPE or reps in reserve also aren't training close to failure. <laughs> you know, they're, most of them are literally going like, oh yeah, that's two reps in reserve. When you look at it, you're like, and that's 10 reps in reserve there. Like you, that, there was no, like, they weren't challenging reps and they're like, Oh yeah, but like I'm accumulating more volume at a lower RPE. And it's like, yeah, man. Okay. That's fine. If you want to accumulate more volume at a lower RPE or, uh, or sorry. Uh, yeah. Low, yeah. Lower RPE. Um, I always get them confused when I'm talking real fast. Cause I'm like, it's lower reps in reserve and higher RPE. And that's the, the equivalent. And then you have to like flip them to the yeah. opposite. <laughs> um, like, Oh, I'm accumulating more, more volume. Uh, at this lower RPE, but it's like, okay, well, to accumulate enough effective volume at that RPE, like it's so low that you'd have to be here all day. Like you have to do something like German volume training to make that effective because those sets are so pissingly easy that it's actually disgusting. You know, it's like you, that's basically a warm up set that you're calling a working set, you know? And again, there are times when this is appropriate, right? There are times, obviously, that that makes sense to do. Like, again, it's not like you're not saying you have to be the most intense motherfucker in the gym every single day that you go there, but you still have to be doing somewhat effective reps when you get to the gym, you know, unless you want to accumulate reps slowly over time. And as a result, get slower results over that time period, you know? And so, again, that must be taken into account. Like, if you don't know what like effectively what I'm saying is both people on either side of the argument make their argument for their case and both of them fall into the fact of not actually knowing where failure is, having never actually gone to failure. Like you see this again, like I said, the people that say, oh, well, I only stopped on that eight rep because it got hard. And it's like, you had like at least four reps in reserve there. And you also see it on the RPE reps in reserve guys um, and girls. Um, and they are effectively like, oh yeah, I'm training at a, an RPE eight, you know, I have two reps left in the tank. And you look at the set and it's like, mate, there's 10 reps there. That's, that's not even, not even close to 
two reps in reserve. That's not even close to the RPE you've assigned to that, you know? Um, so that has to be taken into account as well. Like you have to realize that both sides of the argument are often talking past each other because both sides of the argument are not talking about failure in a clearly defined manner, you know? Uh, they're, they're not actually discussing If you don't get your internet sorted, and I swear to God, you are going to have to come up to Dublin every single weekend to do these. It was going so perfectly, and then you just disappeared. Anyway, the last thing I said was, um, yeah, so most people are talking past each other because they're not actually talking about failure. They're just talking about their arbitrarily defined you know, notion of failure, right? And again, we have to layer on top of this the fact that there are techniques that you can use in the gym. And as I said, the gym environment itself, the psychology going into that does actually influence it, right? And it comes in two ways. Like reaching failure on your own, totally different experience than reaching failure with uh, a well-versed training partner, right? Because they can give you a little spot in uh, the, the right position of the, the contractile range that can then help you get past that little failure point that you would have reached and actually then tax the muscles. Say for example, you know, you're doing something like a, again, a hack squat and the, the bottom part of that range, you know, the, the hack squat isn't that well designed and overcoming inertia in that bottom part of the range, uh, it, it's just terrible on your knees. You're not actually able to contract into that, right? And then giving you a little spot in that position to get you out of, out of the hole effectively, um, you're actually able to get more volume then, more tension on your tissues, uh, through the top part of the range once they give you that little little spot and something like a leg extension as well might do the same it's like really hard to get into that contracted position as you're approaching the top they give you a little spot towards the top you're able to contract harder into that end range position there you know so a, a well-versed spotter can also change the entire experience of failure you know like they they might be able to give you the spot in the exact point where you need it to allow you to then actually get a, a more fuller muscular failure, right? Um, and also, you have to layer onto the top of that the fact that having that environment, you know, where you're training with a load of fucking savages who are just getting absolutely after it, you know, that's a completely different experience than if you're training on your own in, you know, a, a cold uh, gym in your basement, you know, like. That's, it's not the same experience as fucking having four absolutely massive lads shouting at you to get another rep, you know? So again, like, as I said at the start, they're like, when people talk about failure, like there are multiple things that go into it. The psychological aspect, again, like you got four lads shouting at you going, come on, another rep. You know, that's, that's obviously psychologically a lot different than you training hard in your gym, trying to imagine getting another rep, you know? Uh, also again, like the, the neurological experience and muscular experience are actually different to different people discussing well when they're discussing it they're talking about different things right so do you have anything to add to that whole discussion conversation rant by me um no i guess i guess the point is just to to get that when when we talk about failure we're talking about it in a very kind of specific context that is that is somewhat limited. And I think you have to keep that in mind when you're listening to both popular discussions and when you're reading research papers, because, you know, sometimes you read research papers about some of the, 
the study designs that were carried out and it's like all these participants trained to failure and you're thinking there's not a hope that anyone carried out this program to failure you know for example if someone is doing a heap of sets of squats to failure and they've only been given 60 seconds rest you have to question that mm. you have to ask yourself how on earth is would this be reproducible like in the real world what would it look like if someone did that in the gym like that does not seem likely as in if you do one set of squats to true failure like you really crush yourself like man i'd be on the floor for 10 minutes and the stronger you are the longer you're going to be on the floor after that you know because of the sheer energy demands that you put on your body the strong the stronger you get the more muscle you have etc so there there is some degree of like it just doesn't seem to match up some research with some real world applications um, and on the other side of, of things sometimes you see um, the opposite in some research studies like some 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 researchers will actually you know publish for example videos that they've of their participants performing their training and some of it it's like yeah geez like you're getting at it you know christopher christopher barakat is a is a research sports science researcher and he published um, a video of one of his one of his trainees who was going through a research study performing her set of squats to failure recently and she did like 80 reps with something that I believe was projected to be like her 20 rep max. <laughs> two two reps in reserve or like anyone. <laughs> so I mean that that's a that's a ridiculous thing that she may never reproduce in the gym again, you know? So I mean, if she was to go to the gym and do a set of 20 with that weight, she could do multiple sets. Like, are we gonna call that 60 reps in reserve? Like, <laughs> I think we just have to appreciate that there might be some error in terms of like how we quantify these things um, how they play out in the real world and how that then compares to, to what you read in research, because there's just some discrepancies in some research papers in terms of like, like study results from one study and results from another that you have to ask yourself, like, what are the differences in the way that this was actually applied? Um, but you don't need to really worry about that as, as an individual trying to make training decisions. You have to try to figure out like what is working for you. Are you progressing? Because I mean, we can we can say that you've never trained to failure let's say you know let's just say that all your sets are at five reps in reserve but if you've been making consistent strength and hypertrophy progress it's kind of hard to argue with you you know it's like well whatever you're doing is working you know you might be able to do something better but you needn't necessarily change it but on the other side of it if you're the person who you stop every time a rep gets hard and you're potentially never getting anywhere near failure and you're making no progress and you find that you have to do 30 sets for a given muscle group it might be worth questioning you know yeah, this, first of all, just on the study design stuff, like the fact that some exercise researchers don't include videos in their papers, uh, you know, even if it's just a link to the video they have of it, is actually reckless in my mind. Like it's the most archaic system to use. Like it's like this, the, the thing that you are measuring is completely dependent on how you did it and then you're not telling us how you did it. You're just assuming that what I call a squat and what you call a squat and what I call failure and what you call failure are the same thing. Like reckless, absolutely reckless in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that should just be standardized. If there's a research paper, like Gary said, and you see that there's 90 second rest periods or 60 second rest periods, and they're supposedly having done a set of failure on something that is both muscularly and cardiovascularly intensive like a squat you know i'm probably going to have to press x yeah, for sure, bro. you know um like it's 
like it's very hard very hard for me to believe that someone did that even a beginner you know like like it's reckless um <clears throat> but anyway that's that's an aside um uh, what did you say after that then um i basically just said that you know you have to ask yourself how whatever you are doing is matching with your results in the real world Oh, yes, 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 yes. So the, the thing that you have to then consider then is that if you are training with a few reps in reserve or you're saying now you're, you're listening to this and you're going, hmm, maybe I actually don't know what uh, true failure actually is. You know, eventually, if you are progressively overloading, like if you are, you know, slowly adding weight to the bar, you will eventually get to a point where, your eight rep max is actually your eight rep max, you know, like even for the, the individual you were saying there that was doing a set of, I think it was hack squats or squats and they got what 80 reps on <laughs> or 60 reps or whatever it was, uh, with their projected 20 rep max. Like eventually if they were doing consistently doing 20 rep squats or hack squats or whatever, um, and they were slowly adding weight to that, they would eventually get to the weight that was a true 20 rep max, you know? So, again like again you might be thinking oh well this is just you know pedantic then the whole argument because eventually we will reach failure at some stage over your training career you know assuming that you consistently go to the gym which is the big thing um you you have to then consider then that really does it matter but to some extent it does because you could be getting better results in a shorter amount of time if you were training more effectively. And that's a bold claim for me to make, especially considering that you as an individual listening to this might never actually be training to failure, but also still getting good results, you know? So it's a very hard thing to disentangle, right? And effectively it all comes back down to the fact, or it all comes back down to asking yourself, are you progressing? Because you can control the rate at which you progress, you can't control how you progress. You can only control the variables that go into making you progress, right? And if you're ticking the boxes and you're getting the outcome that you want in terms of like, oh yeah, I'm getting stronger, I'm building muscle, whatever the outcome is, then it's hard, like Gary said earlier on, to say that, oh, this would be a better way, you know? Like if it's working, you're ticking the boxes, you're enjoying the process, that's that's kind of all, all there is to it. Whenever you read any research or listen to any discussion on this stuff, it's like, are the people making progress? Yes. Well, like, let them at it. You know, it's it's pretty straightforward uh, in in that regard, right? And um, I also just want to touch on before we get into the, the rest of this discussion, which is kind of a discussion of how people generally program their failure training. You know, and the thing I want to discuss is technical failure, right? Because this is something that is probably more likely to be the failure point for most people than actually the, the nervous system, which, you know, it's just not happening, uh, or the, the muscular system, or even the cardiovascular system, right? It's technical failure, right? And I'd like to say, first of all, that the way most people get around this is they modify the exercise in such a way like intraset, like during the set, uh, they modify the exercise in such a way that they're actually performing a different exercise just so they don't actually 
reach technical failure, if that makes sense, because they've actually reached technical failure. So they have to modify the set to perform a different exercise. And as a result, not train the same tissues, musculature, you know, systems, whatever it is that they're trying to train. So you'll see this most easily in something like a squat, right? People will start out their squat and look like this beautiful high bar squat, really deep and everything. And then as the set progresses, they get muscular fatigue in one of the links in the chain that's, you know, producing force. And all of a sudden that exercise will turn into something else. You know, they'll start doing this kind of squat good morning hybrid you know it's like okay well the first few reps your knees and your hips were shooting up at the exact same time they were coming up together uh at the same rate and now it's like your knees come up first and then your hip shoots up and there's like this uh effectively technical failure right so most people are reaching technical failure but avoiding that by actually just changing or modifying the exercise right and this is especially true of those you know exercises that are more open in nature in terms of you have more variability of movement around different joints you know like you're able to modify your technique uh, or move other joints to accommodate a modified technique you know and you you wouldn't see this as much in something again using the squat example uh, you wouldn't see this as much as something like a, a hack squat right where you're able to actually keep the body in a fixed position and the joints moving are always the same joints moving, you know? Like obviously you can do stuff, like you can shoot your hips off the, the hack squat platform, you know, and like stuff, stuff like that. Um, so what we have to realize is that there is another failure point in exercises that has nothing to do with the actual body. Like obviously it has to do with the body because it's the body that's doing the exercise but it's actually the exercise itself that is limiting right and that becomes important because you know when, when you're designing an exercise or rather when you're choosing an exercise for a given goal like picking better exercises while it is less important than a lot of people believe it's also very important for the actual training effect to be effective, right? And what I mean by that is, like, again, there are going to be better exercises for a given goal, right? And I don't think that's a, a bold statement to make, right? I, 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 some people would disagree with that, and they'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter, like, it's all gonna train everything eventually. And to an extent, that's right. However, like, if you are trying to truly maximize uh, a certain outcome, there are better exercises for that outcome or to allow you or to facilitate achieving that outcome you know like again we were discussing before this which won't come out till thursday there are better uh, ways to set out or set up your your arm training right you can pick better exercises to get the result that you want you know however that doesn't mean that you need to do that especially if you are in the first one to five, maybe one to 10 years of training, you know, like you just need to get stronger, bigger, whatever, all around. However, there are ways you can choose your exercises to better accommodate the failure that you actually want, right? So if you can minimize stuff like technical breakdown, then you are going to tax the musculature, tissues, whatever that you want more effectively. You know, does that make sense, Gary? absolutely you know so again like something like a, a squat if 
you are trying, if you are using a squat to build big legs, right? And the only thing that ever gets sore from squats is your low back <laughs> or the only thing that ever fails in your squat is your back, you know, or your cardiorespiratory system, you know, it's like, that's probably not the best exercise for you to develop big legs. You know what I mean? Like that's not to say that it's a bad exercise, which is what everyone automatically assumes. If you all of a sudden say it's not the best exercise or the holy grail of exercises, people are like, oh, is it a bad exercise then? It's like, that's not what anyone is saying. Well, probably some people are. But what, what, what you're saying with the, that statement is there's probably better exercises for the, a given goal. Like if you're trying to use uh, a squat to build your quads and you perform a squat in some sort of, you know, low bar, very hip dominant manner. It's like, that's probably not the best way for you to build your quads. And you might enjoy that. You might be like, all right, well, it fits my other goals of, you know, powerlifting or something. And it's like, all right, cool. Let's have at it. You know, but if you're like, I want to choose the best exercise to fit my goals, which are to maximize the growth of my quads, there's probably better exercises that aren't going to be limited by other musculature in the, the, the chain of events that you know you have to use that exercise for you know and um, so do you find to add onto that gary like how like obviously if we're talking about failure like and we're talking about technical breakdown in certain exercises being the limiting factor especially if it's technical breakdown that involves other musculature like do we then say okay so if we're choosing exercises we'll avoid those exercises or do they still have merit I know. I think that I think the the key point here is that like there there is no standardized like definition of failure that that correlates basically perfectly across exercises. In that like there's going to be a different limiting factor in different exercises in different repetition ranges and at different points in the workout. And I think like you just have to keep that in mind. Like there's no perfect algorithm that can tell you like exactly when or you when you should or when you shouldn't go to failure and you have this is why keeping your you know keeping your head on and 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 taking taking in sensory information in the gym is actually important because like subjective your subjective experience of exercise is really important you know if you are training a certain exercise over and over again and it's never it never seems to be that your the target muscle is actually the limiting factor then you have to question exactly what you're doing you have to change something you know so it's is leading to failure something else is is doing the work or contributing to a larger proportion of the work and and yeah that's just that crossover between what you experience objectively and what's on paper fair 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 right so that hopefully just rounds out a bit more of the discussion we were discussing in the the last longer episode the last whatever it is i think it was episode 90 whatever and um, and this then brings us to our next point, which is a discussion around how people are actually setting up their training when we have this, we'll call it this dichotomy between people using like RPE or reps in reserve and then people saying like, oh, I trained to failure, right? Like the way most people are setting their training up when they discuss training to failure is a little bit different than what people who look at it actually think they are doing uh, in terms of the, the the whole training experience right so the first thing is most people when they're talking about training to failure what they're effectively doing is some sort of reverse pyramid training right and um, effectively 
like we'll say pyramid training is where you pyramid up in reps or pyramid down in reps, right? And pyramid up in weight, right? So it might look like you are going up. So say you start off, you do your first set, you do 15 reps, they're close to failure. The next set, you do 12 reps, they're close to failure. And then on your final set, you do eight reps and they're close to failure, right? Now, people, especially in the 70s and stuff, they used to use that method. However, if you think about it logically, it becomes blatantly obvious that the higher rep work you do initially is probably going to limit the lower rep work that you do in your final set, right? So you do a hard set of 15, you know, that's probably going to limit your ability to do a heavy set of eight, right? And given the fact that the set of eight is heavier and as a result, there's probably more of a potential for things to go wrong, you know, because it's simply a heavier weight. You shouldn't be fearful of heavier weights, but the fact remains that, you know, if you're doing sets of 15 with, I don't know, 150 kilos on your squat and you're doing sets of eight with 200 kilos on your squat, you're like, I'd probably be more hesitant with 200 kilos on my back, especially considering I've just fatigued myself with the, the 150 kilos, you know? So again, when you, when you think about it, you're like, okay, so those fatiguing sets beforehand, probably not a great idea if I want to maximize my performance in the, the lower rep sets, right? That come after it, right? So then effectively what we got, we get this reverse pyramid, right? Where you do the exact opposite of that, where you, I should note as well, it's called a pyramid because people used to do stuff like they do 15 reps in their first set, 12 reps on the next set, then they do eight reps on the next set, and then they would go back down. They would do 12 reps, and then they would do 15 reps, right? And so that's why it's a, a pyramid, right? Um, so just to state that. Um, then what you see most people doing, especially when they discuss failure training, is they're effectively doing a reverse pyramid, right? So they'll do their heavy set first, and then they'll do their higher rep work after that, right? So that heavy set, generally especially if you're discussing which seems to be the case because uh, it's especially a lot of british bodybuilders do it probably because of dorian yates probably because of jp as well and um, the way most of them program it is they will do a heavy set of five to eight reps somewhere in that rep range they might do a five rep set they might do a six rep they might do have a range you know, six to eight reps or whatever but it's somewhere in that range five to eight reps so heavy enough something that is quite challenging for a set of eight right and then afterwards, they will do either two different methods. So we'll discuss both of them. Um, but they will effectively then reverse pyramid. They'll come down, they'll reduce the weight, and they'll do either a higher rep set, right? So they might do train to failure at eight reps, right? Or again, like we've said, failure, mm, it's hard to define. It's esoteric in nature to an extent. Um, but they fit, train to failure at eight reps or what they call failure at eight reps. And then they take a little break, two, three, five minutes, whatever. And then they're like, okay, my next set, I'm going to train to failure and aim to get 12 to 15 reps. You know, sometimes they even go up as high as 20 reps, right? And um, some of them also do, again, the exact reverse pyramid as discussed there. They might train to failure at eight reps. Then they might be like, okay, reduce the weight, blah, 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 wait the time. They do 12 reps get to failure or whatever 12 to 15 reps they get to failure and then they might be like again whatever wait the time blah 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 and then they might do another set of like 20 reps you know and again like 
train to failure there, right? So that's the first approach. They might do the exact opposite of pyramid training and effectively do lower rep set, slightly higher rep set, slightly higher rep set again, all of them to failure. Now, there's a few benefits and cons to this, which we'll discuss in a second. But the second method, before we get into that, what you'll see people do is they'll do that heavy rep set, the trained failure on whatever, eight reps, we'll say. Uh, and then after that, they'll reduce the weight. But what they'll bring in is some sort of RPE or reps in reserve type deal, right? So they'll train to failure, they'll do eight reps, then they'll lower the weight, I don't know, we'll say just arbitrarily 10 to 15%. And then they'll do one to three sets of eight reps at that slightly lower level right so they know where their true 8rm is because they just reached it you know they literally just hit eight rep max and they were like oh yeah that was failure and then effectively what they're doing is reducing that to something like 85 to 90 percent of that eight rep max and then doing sets of eight right so that would probably put them somewhere around the one to maybe two reps in reserve right and um, however you have to also take into account the fact that they've already reached failure in that uh, training in that exercise in that workout so that one to two reps in reserve is probably skewed a little bit lower so it's probably only one rep in reserve if not just below failure you know maybe did half a rep in reserve for those subsequent sets purely because they've, they've reached failure already so you know they're not able to perform as well as they would have if they hadn't reached failure you know and um, so they are the two ways that are commonly done for this reverse pyramid method, if you want to call it that, or when people are discussing training to failure, right? And the reason I want to clearly delineate that because you often see people saying they train to failure and they're like, oh yeah, I train to failure and I do like three sets. And quite frankly, that's impossible, right? Like if you, if you train to failure, well, it's not impossible, right? But there's some caveats that if you train to failure on your first set, you are not going to be able to perform as well on your second set and especially not able to train as, perform as well on your, your third set, right? The only way you can perform as well on all those sets is either two things. You take a very long period of rest, you know, we're talking five, six, maybe 10 minutes, right? Um, or you didn't actually train to failure on your first set, right? Because if you do train to failure and you try to take a, a normal, we'll call it rest period of maybe whatever, uh, 90 seconds to two minutes right so relatively normal rest period you do your set of eight on bench press or say whatever you 100 kilos set of eight boom you bang out your eight reps that eight rep that sixth rep was fucking you know grinding up seven rep oh you're in bits eight rep you just about got it you know you're literally at the very brink you're like maybe if someone held a gun to my head i could get a half a rep extra right but there was no way you could get another rep right because again if we're arbitrarily defining it as you know failure is you're not able to produce force throughout that entire contractile range of a to b because again that's what most people are defining it as then you weren't able to get you're able to get maybe half a rep but you, you reach failure right or at least momentary failure right there is no way in hell you're able to do that then again for another set after waiting only two minutes you know what would happen then is you do your eight reps and then the next set, you get six reps, right? And you're like, okay, cool. It's still in my six to eight rep range that I had going for this, allocated to this workout. But then the next set after that, you're getting maybe three reps, you know? So the only way you could actually do it is if you 
it, or the only way you could actually get three sets of eight is if you weren't actually training to failure or you were taking five to 10 minute rest in between each of those sets. Would you agree with that, Kerry? Absolutely. Like it's, it's, it almost just becomes like a, a basic energy systems discussion, like at that point, like, because when you, when you begin to train, like, all the way to failure you're digging far deeper into the energy systems that are required so if you're if you're doing your first set right and you're you're absolutely going for it you're feeling fresh you're putting in all your effort you know you're using up the initial bit of intracellular atp that's there right so we've taken care of that then you start to use your creatine phosphate to to generate more atp and then that that begins to to be depleted and takes time to actually regenerate and when you're doing multiple sets it's not going to keep regenerating and then you start to dig into your local muscle glycogen stores and that begins to get depleted. And then, and as you begin to use that, you're developing, you're starting to accumulate all of these different metabolites from running through basically anaerobic glycolysis. So you're producing lots of energy anaerobically. And as you begin to do all of that, basically like, like that can't keep up at the same level over and over and over again, set to set. It just doesn't work like that. So if you've done one set all the way to failure, it's fairly unlikely that you're going to be able to repeat that same load like over and over again for multiple sets so like on a basic like predicting from the basics it's unlikely that 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 is going to be the case and i don't think you see that very often in practice like typically what you will see is that people will get very close to failure and they might be they might be close to it and then they're kind of hyping themselves up maybe more for the latter sets and they can kind of match their reps just about Um, but very rarely you're going to see someone truly hitting failure for multiple sets in a row yeah again like i actually really like bringing it back to just the energy system stuff because it actually becomes so obviously apparent when you look at it in this in in that instant especially if you've done anything uh well we'll say you know athletic um you've done some running or whatever you know Um, like people training the failure for multiple sets is effectively like saying or people saying that, oh, they do train to failure for multiple sets, and it's quite clearly a possibility, is very much like saying that you are Usain Bolt and you do your fucking whatever, 10-second run, whatever, 100 meter, isn't it? 100 meters in 10 seconds? Yeah, 100 yeah. meters, 9.2 whatever. or something like that. In here. That would be like him saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to repeat it in two minutes. And then I'm going to wait another two minutes and I'm going like to do it again. There is no chance in hell. Like not a fucking chance in hell. And he wouldn't even be able to do it like his 9.2 second, which is equivalent to a max, which you're saying you're going to your eight rep max. So it's a max, you know, um, your, your best possible ability, you know. And even if you say, okay, there's a little bit of variance either way. There's still no way he's doing 9.2 seconds or whatever it is, waits two minutes, you know, and then goes, we'll say 9.3. You know, he's still not doing that. It's probably 9.2 seconds. Oh, I have to go again. Okay. Yeah. It's 11 seconds. (laughs) You know, oh, I'll go again after two minutes. Oh yeah. It's 20 seconds, you know? Um, so if you put it in the context of just an energy system stuff, or again, like a, a sports modality, it becomes glaringly obvious that people aren't training to actual failure, uh, in the in the way that they're saying they're training to fail you know again they're just getting to some hard reps and maybe the bar speed slows down a little bit and they're like all right that's it um i'm done you know or again like technical breakdown that's probably the thing that actually occurs 
rather than like muscular or you know uh, an energy systems thing fails you know they'll do their bench press and they're not able to get into that bottom range of motion because they already really didn't didn't really have control in that bottom range of motion um, and they were just always using a little bit of bounce to get out of it a little bit of pop off the chest and as soon as they don't have the coordination to do that because they're starting to get a little bit you know fatigued in those muscles they're not able to use that little bit of pop off the chest you know and all of a sudden they're like as soon as they try to pop off and it's oh my god i have to actually use my muscles now and it's like okay there's nothing there but it's like that was just a technical failure point if you were doing something like a a machine chest press that was perfectly designed to your range of motion you know you would actually be able to do more you would be able to produce force for longer you know so again like as we said earlier on it, it, like you have to actually put the exercise into or yeah you have to put the exercise into account when you're discussing this thing because again like the experience of failure if someone gave you a little little tiny spot off the chest maybe that's your weak point we'll say you know um they give you a little tiny spot off that position where you're actually not in you know an active range of motion if you want to call it that um, and they give you that little spot and then you're able to produce force again it's like again there's there's more reps there available to you again if you wanted to go to true failure on your bench press you might do something like again you do your bench press then all of a sudden someone puts in a, a one board on your chest a one inch board on your chest you reach failure at that point they put in a two inch board on your chest reach failure at that point they put a three inch board in your chest reach failure at that point and so on and so on you know and that's again true muscular failure but what really is failed is effectively technical breakdown you're not able to move a to b and that's that's what has caused failure right and again you're definitely not able to do that for multiple sets so anyone who does the same way for multiple sets whether you believe it or not you are using some sort of rpe or reps in reserve training well you're you're using some sort of reps in reserve training because rpe is you're actually assigning a, a rate of perceived exertion to that a rating of perceived exertion to that and um, whereas or or i or reps in reserve it's like it's occurring whether you are tracking that or not you know especially if you are doing multiple sets right so that's why i wanted to bring that up uh because a lot of people will say that they are reaching failure and then doing multiple sets which is just uh, an impossibility right so that brings us back to why people are setting up their training in something like a reverse pyramid pyramid method where they are reaching failure or what they subjectively feel as failure on eight reps and then reducing the weight and doing it for say 12 reps or something like that you know and it's actually a really good way of training because they are excuse me far enough away in their energy system use if you want to call it that or you know the motor unit recruitment whatever um in that the experience of eight reps the subjective failure point at eight reps versus the subjective failure point at say 15 reps you would potentially be failing for different reasons you know say for example you fail for or fail in your whatever five to eight rep range and it's mainly a neurological thing you know you're not actually able to coordinate the movement as well as you could when you're doing you know uh, less than failure reps or whatever you know like you, you you effectively reach technical breakdown you're not able to go a to b right whereas with your 12 to 15 rep range the thing that's probably likely to limit you is more metabolic in nature you know you might run out 
I'm going to say quote unquote because we haven't said it, uh, quote unquote, run out of uh, metabolic fuel, you know, for that 12 to 15 rep range. Or you might, you know, reach a, a level of cell swelling where, you know, acidosis has really kicked in as well. And those are the limiting factors rather than your actual ability to coordinate the movement and contract the, the tissue. Would you agree with that, Gary? Yes, sir. So do you mind to add on to that in terms of why it would make sense to do something like a, an eight rep or five to eight rep and then something like a 12 to 15 rep? Yeah, like I kind of wish I was more ideologically invested in one sort of structure because it always sounds like I'm just saying, oh, yeah, I do what you want. But like, I mean, I actually think both a, an approach that the, the kind of reverse pyramid style you're talking about can actually work really, 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 really well. And I do it with some clients where you do have kind of a heavier set that they're more focused on at the beginning and then they kind of back off and do some slightly, some slightly lighter work. And that is, as you said, far enough away to make it a little different from an energy systems perspective from a logical perspective um so yeah there's there's absolutely merit to that and i think it can be a really advantageous approach especially for people who are maybe they get a bit more pleasure out of getting that that strength feeling in their hypertrophy training where they're doing a little bit of low rep work i think that first set is a really good opportunity to to bring that in and i take it to even more of an extreme sometimes with clients who have more of a strength bias goal but let's say we're doing more volume work in the six to 12 range but they still want to keep up their one rep max or keep it progressing sometimes i'll include like a heavy single or heavy triple at the start which is essentially the exact same thing you know still using some degree of reverse pyramid where you are pyramiding up to a higher weight and then backing off having said that i also think it can be an absolutely fine approach to do standard kind of pyramid or ascending weight training if you're leaving a bit more in the tank so that's the only kind of caveat there is that anytime i would program um, standard pyramid training where you're going from a, a lighter weight higher reps to a heavier weight um and and lower reps anytime i'm doing that basically what i would be aiming what i would be aiming for is to also consider effort in that equation so i would also have like an ascending effort scheme so it could be something like you start off with uh, three reps in reserve in your first set of 15 and then you have two reps in reserve in your set of 12 and then when you get to your set of eight or whatever that's when you do your one rep in reserve so you're basically saving a bit of effort because as you alluded to earlier what i generally wouldn't want is someone to totally tax themselves with really really high rep work and then go into a really heavy set of five you know something like that or or a heavy single you know um, and I think that's the way a lot of people train when they first get into the gym because they just don't know what weights to use. And they're just like, oh, I'm just going to see what I can do with every weight and I'll stop when I can't lift anymore. So if you are using that structure, ascending effort is a, is a good way of going about things, which is essentially the, op the opposite of the reverse pyramid style structure. Um, and I think both of those types of training approaches are really good from an adherence and a training enjoyment perspective. And I think that's why they are so widely used as opposed to conventional straight set strategies. But at the same time, like we don't really have any reason to believe that any one like set structure is better than the other. Anytime they've been studied, they basically lead to the same outcome. So it's like, okay, you know, consider it within the, the art of programming more so than like a hard science of training. Um, but if you are someone that just like, I'm just here to make progress. I don't really care what I do doing con like conventional straight sets, four sets of eight, whatever is absolutely fine as well. Um, 
so yeah, they're basically you can use them all, but feel like actually ask yourself, you know, are there any supplementary goals to my goal of, of muscle hypertrophy? And I think if, if strength is a supplementary goal, adding in some heavier work in that reverse pyramid fashion is, is a really nice way of going about things. And similarly, if you know that you're really psychologically motivated and, and you feel like you can put a lot more into your workouts when you've got one set to focus on, I also think that's a, a good, that's good rationale for that reverse pyramid type of approach. Um, and effectively this comes back down to, uh, the whole process of training is to some extent arbitrary. And although people do become ideologically driven in this, you know, it's probably not a great idea to become ideologically driven and realize that, you know, there are tools available to you and there's probably a better tool for a given job. Like we said in the, the last podcast in this discussion, you know, some exercises are just going to be better for doing higher volumes of training at a lower RPE. You know, if you do something uh, like, uh, I don't know, lateral raises, it's not exactly the best exercise to be doing some sort of reverse pyramid training, trying to get a new 8 RM on your lateral raise. It's like, like it's just, it's probably not a great uh, approach overall, right? Um, so obviously the strategy you use is going to be dictated by the goal and then the ex- exercise you use to achieve that goal, like what you have available to you. Like we were saying earlier on, if you have something like a, hack squat that is perfectly designed and you're able to you know produce force throughout the entire contractile range you know that's obviously a different experience than if you do something like a you know a squat if you're choosing that like so again like the approaches that you use for that may be completely different than as a result you know um so to kind of bring this together in some sort of succinct manner again realize that training is arbitrary to some extent you know you can use whatever tool you want to use there are better tools for a given job and you you don't have to be ideologically driven just because your favorite instagrammer youtuber whatever uses like reverse pyramid training doesn't mean that you have to use that as a, a viable training modality because all they're doing is managing their output so as to minimize fatigue so that they can get higher training volumes over time. You know, and what I mean by that is they can progress the weight or they can progress the amount of volume in a given workout to thus progress the amount of volume they can do in a given unit of time, week, month, whatever, right? Which when we start discussing volume, this is where people get a very skewed representation of how people are training when they do some sort of reverse pyramid training, especially like bodybuilders and whatever, because effectively people will come from say an RPE, a reps and reserve type deal. And they're used to doing say, I don't know, five workouts or five exercises in a given workout and be like, okay, cool. All I'm going to do to change over to this reverse pyramid method stuff is effectively say they're doing four rep four sets for those five exercises right so they're 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 at that level that's what 20 20 20 sets isn't it and so in their workout they're doing 20 sets four five exercises four sets for each and they're like huh this is unreal i'm just going to change this reverse pyramid trial style training because these people are telling me that it's the, the holy grail it's perfect and effectively all they've done is yeah they're training a little bit closer to failure but now they're only doing 10 sets per workout and they're like they're thinking to themselves 
man, that, that actually was great. I cut down the amount of time I was spending in the gym. However, what you have to realize is two things. First of all, it likely isn't going to lead to you cutting down time in the gym, right? For two reasons, right? The first one being that if you train to failure, you're probably going to have to rest longer. So if you train to your eight rep failure, again, we're doing this reverse pyramid method, train to your eight rep failure, you're probably going to need to take two to five minutes before you're ready to go for that 12 to 15 rep set, right? So you're going to be resting more in the gym than if you were to do something like a reps in reserve style training. You agree with that, Gary? Yeah. So again, like if you're doing two reps in reserve all the time, you're able to pretty much manage, okay, I need to only take two minutes of rest in between those sets, right? You maybe even only need 90 seconds, again, depending on what the exercise is, right? You might even only need 60 seconds. I don't know, right? Um, so you're doing that. You're like, okay, cool. I can accumulate that volume. I know exactly how much time that's going to take. I can have my rest periods managed, right? Whereas if you train to failure, you're probably going to need to take again, two to five minutes of rest before you're ready to go for your next set, which obviously makes it somewhat hard to understand how much time to allocate to the gym as a whole. You know, you need to take into account that, you know, some days you might be only resting for whatever, five minutes. Some days you might be only resting for two minutes. Some days you might be resting for 10 minutes. It's just a bit more variable in terms of going from that eight rep set to that 12 rep set, you know? So that has to be taken into account, right? And the second thing I wanted to mention on that is the fact that while people think that that's how you would transition from an RPE or reps and reserve style training program to something like a, a, a reverse pyramid or failure style training program, that's not actually what occurs, right? Because what you'll actually see people doing who are in to, you know, to, into like failure training, this reverse pyramid training is they will do more exercises, right? So they will probably still do that 20 sets, you know? They'll, they'll still get the 20 sets that you were getting while you were doing your five exercises for four sets at RPE8, right? they'll still do the same overall volume of sets, right? But the way they'll do it is rather than having like whatever, I don't know, we'll just say just whatever. They're, they're, instead of doing two exercises for their quads in that workout, right? They're now doing four exercises for their quads, right? At two sets. So <clears throat> for example, you're doing two sets for your quads or two exercises for your quads, both at four sets each, right? So you're getting eight total sets in that workout for your quads you know you're doing something like a, a i don't know a, a squat and a quad extension just for example right and um, you do that you do your four sets of eight or four sets at rpe eight cool grand right you know you've got four or you've got eight hard sets in total in that workout right whereas the people doing the reverse pyramid training what people initially think all they have to do to transition from doing that to reverse pyramid training is go okay, I'm just going to do the same squat and quad extension, except now I only have to do two sets of each of those for a total of four sets in that workout. But again, that's not how people who are doing reverse pyramid training are actually trained. What they do now instead is rather than doing two exercises, they're now doing four exercises for two sets each, right? So it's still the same eight sets of work that you know, you were doing when you were doing your, your RPE or reps and reserve training, right? 
it's the same volume of sets, right? Those sets, yeah, are definitely taken closer to failure because again, they're, they're reaching muscular failure during those sets, right? Now, obviously you can see there's potentially some issues with that from a practical perspective, especially when we're considering the issue of time, right? Because again, we'll go for your, your leg training, you know, legs are generally a strong muscle group. If you go from doing, so your squats and your quad extensions, you know, and you go from doing those two exercises, which effectively only need two setup, like two units of time allocated to setting up those exercises to going to a training program that now requires you to have four units of time allocated to setting up those exercises, you know, that potentially increases the amount of time that you spend in the gym right because think about this if you do again your squats and your quad extensions right cool right you only have to load those two exercises quad extensions fairly handy to load it's like boom stick the pin in maybe you have plate loaded ones in your gym happy days still loading only a few a few plates onto that like the, the quads aren't that strong especially in an isolation style exercise like that right however if you go now to doing four exercises maybe you start off with your squat right but now you have to load them a little bit heavier, first of all, because again, like you're going closer to the failure, you know, you're, you're using a heavier weight as a result. But now not only are you loading that bar up to do that, now you're going to go on to your, I don't know, your, your leg press now and you have to load the fucking 400 kilos that you have to use for your leg press. And again, that's maybe fucking 15 minutes just loading plates while you're kind of semi warming up uh, for that leg press, right? But now it's like, okay, cool. You two sets on that. Now you have to get off that, unload all those weights, and now load them up onto, I don't know, the V squat or the hack squat that you have in your gym, and load that up. Maybe you get fucking three to five plates per side on that. Do your two sets, unload all those weights, and then you move on to your quad extensions. And effectively, you spent, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes just loading and unloading plates in your, your, your gym time, you know? So... That it's something that seems like it would spend you would spend less time if you don't actually understand how most people are you know allocating time to a reverse pyramid method, especially as like like British bodybuilders are uh, doing it. You know they might get the same total sets that you do, but it actually takes them more time in total to do those sets because they have to load and unload machines, right? And that might seem somewhat inconsequential, and you know. Uh, irrelevant but especially if you're training on your own and especially if you are you know trying to fit in an hour workout before you go to work or whatever like that's a practical consideration that you must take into account like actually setting up the machine itself especially if you're in a busy gym as well like there's no reason that now that you have to set up this other machine and someone else is using it and you're like all right well my workout structure overall is is fucked and it's also going to take me fucking 20 minutes now to unload their weights or help them unload their weights when they're finished and then load up all my weights when I'm going to do it, you know? Um, so that is a practical consideration that you must take into account when you're discussing all of this. Cause you'll see this as well. Like some of these, again, uh, people that do reverse pyramid style training in the manner that we're describing, you see them and they post their workout time or whatever, you know, maybe they're using like a, a polar watch or a Garmin watch or an Apple watch or something to track the calories they expend in their workout, or it's just, they're using it as some form of tracking and their workout will take whatever, two hours. And you look at on paper, the amount of sets they do, you're like, how the fuck did that take two, two hours? But then you take into account, it's like probably three, three quarters of 
that workout was spent loading and unloading plates, you know, or recovering in between these heavy, intense, very close to failure or at failure sets. So while like on paper, it seems like they're doing less work or it's a more efficient way of training for a lot of people. It's a very inefficient way of training when you could just do something like, okay, I'm going to pick two exercises, uh, only load these exercises once, you know, or twice in the workout. And again, use something like a, a reps and reserve or an RPE and just do more sets at that workout station, you know? Yup, I agree. You know, anytime you see a G or H or I at a workout program, like you got to run, you know, <laughs> that just means there's just a hell of a lot of exercise in there, especially if you're, so what I mean there for people who don't know, like normally trainers will label exercises as like a you're here to a exercise b c d e f g h and by the time you get to h like i mean you're you're pretty much done by then so that kind of circles back to the discussion that we were we were basically having earlier um and in the last podcast that's going to be out on thursday <laughs> is basically like your the quality of the work that you do is going to be less as you progress later on in the workout and as you progress towards later sets. So if you are, you know, having this approach where you're doing a kind of a reverse pyramid type of approach, if I was going to use it, I would probably use it like more for the, a couple of exercises at the start maybe, and then maybe bunch up more sets for other exercises at the end that you're just kind of, you're doing, you're getting them done. You're not still like swapping from exercise to exercise because that could compromise adherence, enjoyment, etc. Like, you know, if you're just doing six sets, for arms there's no point doing like three different exercises to get that done or four sets or five sets whatever um so that again these practical considerations they're often forgotten important to consider um you do have to consider your your own gym environment you know some people just train in hotel gyms or gaa gyms and they're trying to follow programs that are from people that are you know follow in, in the elite gyms in london or in new york or wherever and like you know i'm from Kerry in ireland and like we, we don't have those types of gyms you know even even getting something like a hack squat like i don't think there's there's literally a hack squat in Kerry. there's definitely not one in killarney oh actually there, there was one we got recently um but but the point being there that you don't oh, have this luxury of all these different if they have a juicy machine give them a shout out <laughs> peak performance in Killarney got a new hack squat because they had a, a squat a kind of a hack squat type thing but it wasn't great the owner knew that Bobby. Um, but yeah, there you go. Point being that you don't always have the selection of equipment that you may like. So you have to factor that in to your programming decisions. Like if you don't have six different chest machines, you can't do six, six chest exercises. Like sure. You could do a flat dumbbell press at 15 degree, 30 degree, but it's not always the same thing. Um, so yeah, a lot of these training decisions are made to make you enjoy your training to be adherent um, to feel motivated psychologically. Um, and then there are many things that can contribute to that. So you have to ask what, what that means for your own training, as opposed to just trying to copy the training of others. That's perfect. I don't, don't think I have anything else to add <clears throat> to this overall discussion. So do you think that covers everything? Well, probably realistically it doesn't cover everything, but it recovers, covers everything that we're willing to discuss in however long this podcast took us an hour and a half or whatever. Yeah, basically, we repeated everything that we said in the last podcast. So 75% of this podcast you probably heard already. <laughs> so that's fine. Basically, point being, uh, in summary, if I was to summarize this podcast, what I would say is that failure is not a very clear thing that we can always define. It's going to change between exercises, between individuals, 
across the training career and across a given workout. Okay. So what causes you to fail is not always the same um, and how we would actually define failure specifically and, and whether it's technical or whether it's like truly muscular or whatever, that's going to change. Um, we don't always know what that means for training outcomes. Like, I don't know. Like it's, if anyone has a really hard stance in terms of saying that training to failure is way better or not training to failure is way better, you, you couldn't have gotten that um, understanding from somewhere reliable because if you read the research on, this, on these topics, the study designs vary, sometimes conflicting results, and it's sometimes hard to reconcile some studies with others and some studies with the real world. So that is why we're trying to have a discussion that is very much practical in nature and why we're trying to reinforce that point that you do actually have to measure the progress you're making. Like that's the goal. The goal of listening to these podcasts about training is so that you get better. And that, that's all that matters. So like, that's what, that's what you have to do. As a trainer, you have to try and take, you know, the way like me and Patty are always talking in a type of sort of a, an agnostic manner. And what we're trying to get across is that there's no one way. And that's really important as a trainer, more so than as an, in, an individual for your own training, because you're working with different people and different people are going to respond in different ways. And sometimes what happens is that if you're so invested in one particular approach, you might get results with 50% of your clients, let's say. And then they're the ones that you kind of keep in your mind all the time. And it's a form of survivorship bias. You know, it's the equivalent to if you had a sample of 30 people in a research study, 15 people finish the study and you ignore the other 15, that gives you a biased sample and a biased understanding. So you can also apply that to the real world. Um, and then in terms of these set strategies, I wouldn't say there's any best necessarily. There are different ways of going about things. You have to consider the practical considerations in terms of your training environment, where you train, what you have available. But you also have to consider what sort of um, ancillary goals you have. So are you just here for hypertrophy or are you here for strength as well? Or maybe you're here for some like power adaptations or high velocity strength, you could say. You know, we often forget that there's individuals that want that have athletic goals. So it could be the case that you do your first two sets of, of a squat exercise jumping or, or with doing sets of three with, with 40% of your owner at max for high velocity strength adaptations. And then you follow up with, with different, different set structures. So point being, there are many options and you have to, you have to analyze it on an individual basis and see what you actually enjoy. Like ultimately the name of the game is consistency and time. And you have to be able to stay in the game and show up every time and be interested. And if you can stay interested in your training, like that is half the battle right there. Yeah, and this also going goes into the thing is that a lot of people, especially even in this discussion, when we're discussing this, this is assuming that all you are doing is resistance training. Um, and yep. even though yeah, we're using, you know, strategies and we're talking about, you know, maybe if you have work considerations and whatever else, uh, the fact remains is like, if you are doing a sport and you are training to failure in the gym, that's probably going to negatively affect your ability to train your sport specific stuff later on in the day or in the week, you know? And so while it might represent a good strategy in, in some instances, like for example, strength, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I want to get stronger in the three rep range and the 12 rep range. So this reverse pyramid style training may, makes sense to me. And um, you have to remember as well, it's like, okay, well, like if I, like I personally, again, using my bias, like I personally like uh, training myself in a reverse pyramid style approach. I like just going in there mentally, clicking into gear, just doing a fucking heavy set. And I'm like, that's the only heavy set that I have to do. And then, you know, reducing the weight and doing a, a higher rep set, more of a, a pump, step, pump set or metabolically challenging set. I'm like, I like that approach. I fucking love that. However, it would be physically impossible for me to recover from that 
to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu later in the day because that's what I do. I train resistance training in the morning and then do my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the evening. So it's physically impossible for me to recover in that length of time. You know, if I was only training once every 24 hours, cool, I could fucking train as hard as I fucking possibly wanted to. But if I'm training twice every 24 hours and both of these sessions are potentially very demanding, then, you know, your, your training approach has to reflect that. Yes, sir. And that is the end of this podcast. Yes, because I'm starving. And Laura has clearly given you the evil eyes over there going like, Gary, get off that podcast. She's actually not. She's been very kind and supportive and trying not to make noise. No, she's being respectful and just trying not to make noise. So respect to Laura. Shout out to both of our Lauras in this episode of the podcast for being eternally supportive of me and Patrick's um, pursuits. So there you go. Um, To end this podcast, of course, you can engage with our usual services listed below in the description box. You'll find our newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter. That's where you'll find all the content we've posted across the week. These podcasts, our YouTube videos, any articles we're sharing or resharing. One of the things actually I meant to bring up was was something my clients asked about, our client, is that every week we share like an article that we've written, but we've written it in the past. But the point being there that we're trying to share them in one, a logical sequence, but also we very regularly update things. So one example would be, you know, at the moment we're updating a lot of terminology pages. So when we're going across our, going through our articles, then we have written terminology that describes like in more detail what we're talking about. Similarly, when new, if there's new research that comes out that I think is like, oh God, that actually really influences one of the points I made in my article before, I'll go back and change it. So those little tweaks are happening all the time. So that's why it's sometimes useful to, to have a look at those articles, even if you think, you may have seen it before. Um, so yeah, that's that. And also in that newsletter, we send out recommended resources that we think are helpful. So if you are interested in maybe staying on the edge of like maybe new research that has come out that might be influential, like generally like what, what I do, and I know Patty does the same, is that I get a PubMed alert. Like I think mine's set to daily, but I don't look at it every day. Um, but then I, I just screen through and if there's anything useful, I'm like, oh, cool. Huh? Absolutely reckless. I know it's like fucking 40 studies a day, but I just look through and then if, if I think anything is useful, I'll save it for later. Um, a lot of the time I'll click into re- research papers. I'm like, yeah, this changes nothing. I have no interest in a, whether like, I don't know, training to failure versus not training to failure on a, I don't know, a leg extension in a sample size of eight with older women. Does that change their c-reactive protein concentration like like that's just not something i care about you know so like that we're always kind of screening so if something does go out to the newsletter it's because we think it either might change something in practice or it will make you think about things and that's that's something that's really important i don't always necessarily agree with the articles i share in the newsletter if you go through the book recommendations some of them i'm like yeah i definitely don't agree with everything that's in mm-hmm. that book but it's, it's useful to think about um but yeah the that's the triage method newsletter triage method community Join the Facebook group. That's where you can interact. On the community thing as well. Like, first of all, like whenever I listen to podcasts and they're talking about a topic, or even if I listen to books and they're talking about a topic that I'm like, I feel I know a lot about, right? I always get triggered when I'm like, I actually want to be part of this conversation. You know, I'm like, oh, I have a point to add to this. Or, oh, I could, you know, that was actually wrong. They should have said this, or this is a good analogy or whatever. Like, that's what you can do in the Facebook community right yeah so absolutely you're like oh uh, i listened to the joe rogan podcast and i feel i would be a great contributor to 
the conversation they had around fucking, I don't know, magic mushrooms or something. It's like, mm-hmm. they don't have a, a fucking Facebook group where you can interact with Joe and be like, oh, you said this wrong, blah, blah, blah. We do. We have a community where you're like, if you say, oh, this is bullshit, what you said here is retarded and you're stupid and whatever. I don't care if you literally fucking slate us and you have a well-researched point of view. Like, I'd love to see that in the in the Facebook group so we can actually have a discussion and we can put out better content, you know, because realistically there's no way that two individuals can know everything there is to know. You know, there's, there's simply not enough time in the, the universe to do this, you know? And so if you do have points and you're like, Oh man, I fucking, I wish I could put that into somewhere. I wish I could tell them that they're wrong on that. Or I really like that point And that's really helped me think of something that community is where you go for that. So if you get triggered, like I get triggered, listen to podcasts, then that's the place to go to voice your concerns or your triggeredness. Yeah. And it actually also helps us because like, I don't want to be stupid and wrong. Like, so if you, if there's something I'm stupid and wrong about, like, please tell me, like, I always think that's just the, the, the worst, most weak, like lack of courage ever when you're afraid to comment on someone's post that is wrong or tell them that they're actually wrong. Because especially if you care about the person, like it's not actually, you're not a nice person. If you tell someone they're right all the time, mm. like you're actually, you actually don't care about that person. You're just trying to make them feel good. You care about someone. You tell them they're dumb as fuck. Like <laughs> just, you're like, here, man, like you do not know what you're talking about. Like me and Patty do that all the time. Like he's absolutely thick as shit. But anyway, on to the rest of the recommendations so we don't make this two hours subscribe to the youtube channel new stuff going up there all the time i don't really care if you subscribe to our facebook or twitter because once you do the our, same with our instagram like once you kind of are on the newsletter or you join the triage method community you can keep in contact with us but i mean it's always nice to see our follow- you should follow us on youtube because yes definitely youtube yeah um and like sometimes like it's kind of hard to deliver youtube content on other platforms so if you're subscribed and you get the notifications and you see it coming up that's fantastic um and yeah of course our services you can engage with group coaching there you will have a discount with new year 10 all one word um, for the male or female group coaching um both options are followed by their respective leaders <laughs> that was an awful way of saying that you leaders yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I am Jesus. Um, basically, what I was trying to say there is that I'm actually currently following the male group programming and Breed is following the female group programming and we wouldn't be following those programs if we didn't believe in them. So there you go. Um, and yeah, I think that there's, they're really useful. The current male program, I'm actually loving it. Um, I wrote it, obviously, on Bias, but it's, it's pretty fun. You know, it's a more strength-focused program um, this month. So if you'd like to join like you can basically join whenever you want and if you join at the crossover of a month let's say you're you join on week four of a program it doesn't really matter because you can just transition to the next phase and maybe you could save the previous phase for another time or you could you could also just follow that that month from from the get-go like and just keep it going but i mean you ultimately have that freedom like i don't really care what you do you know we're here to give you accountability and make sure you progress so if you want to join the group, engage in the group and let us help you. So one-to-one coaching available as always. If you'd like to work with me and Patty one-on-one individually with a far more personalized touch, that is a good way to do that. And then finally, we've got a program templates. Templates there to inspire, to give you an idea of what you should be looking for. Not to tell you exactly what to do forever for the rest of your life, but it is a good way of learning about programming theory and see how it 
seeing how it applies in practice. Um, we will bring, be bringing out more specific programming eBooks in the future. So do look out for those um, because I think people are interested in kind of like body parts and specialization and like a deadlift program and all that sort of stuff. So we'll get there. If Gary gets his finger out, we might have a big project coming later in the year for something around that. But that's, that's under wraps, top secret. And it involves Gary. Going to Mars and building a gym, bitch. It involves Gary actually doing work and he's not great at that. I'm a thinker. I'm a, prof- I'm a professional. I saw my friend, or Lyndon, that was on the podcast before in his bio. He's just like a aspiring professional thinker. Like, I like that. Like, I just want to, you know, sit in a cave. And just think. Fair. Do nothing. Um, yeah, so I'm really hungry right now. So we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to eat. And don't. Yes, yeah, That is actually terrifying, Gary. Um, I look at Mark Bell. You do actually not. Um, but anyway, we're going to wrap this up. I have nothing else to add. Gary, do you have anything else to add? Nothing else to add, lads. It's too easy. Go on, you absolute mad lad. XO, XO.